This is a presentation of the Pitch Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to Streetwise, the podcast extension of the Pitch from Kansas City. I am your host and the editor-in-chief at The Pitch, Brock Wilbur. How is everybody? How are things? How are you doing out there? Specifically, I suppose, how are you doing out there? As it seems that uh, the world is starting to open back up again. This has been uh, a really incredible stretch of a couple of weeks here. Uh, so many people that I know have gotten their second vaccination. Um, our numbers in Missouri are somehow the second lowest in the country and... Um, in terms of deaths, but also we are the second worst in terms of getting the vaccine out there. So I don't know what's happening, but I don't want to push the bear too hard or upset the apple cart. Uh, whatever we're doing to make sure that people aren't dying. Yes. Let's keep that up uh, in whatever form that takes. Uh, Kansas, uh, is, is down to zero deaths. Uh, just incredibly jealous across the board of, uh, of where we are, not that I'm not, not that I don't have skin in the game, like collectively I'm just happy for us, but also just jealous of like, wow, that came together quickly. Uh, and so that has had a uh, pretty visible change uh, in my world. I've started uh, actually going back out into the world to interview people and uh, and meeting them in person, which is odd. Uh, this week in our office, we had employees starting to come back in, which, to be clear, I made my office into a bit of a bachelor pad over the course of this. There's there's video games and stuff there. Uh, obviously, it was there for me to um, do work, uh, first and foremost, to inform the city and, and do important journalism, but also a great place for me to go to not drive my wife insane where there was never anybody else. And now people are coming back, and I'm going to have to start wearing pants again because uh, it was fun before when we were all alone um, and now it's got to be work again. And something about this has the feel to it of like um, a, the like Christmas holiday break from school uh, happening where you're like, hey, I'm going home. Here's all the things I'm going to get done in that time. Like it's three weeks. I'm, I'm going to do this and do that and I'm going to finish that book I was working just you you said impossible goals and then you get to the end of the break and you're like oh I didn't finish anything on that list and that's a little that's a little like what it feels like right now uh which is that somehow I missed an opportunity here uh like I'm so happy that everything is coming back I'm so happy to be returning to normal world it also does feel like the end of an era here where it was kind of nice to not have, um, not have to do a lot. Uh, for example, it's been a, it's been a whole year since I've had to come up with an excuse for why I can't make it to somebody's party. I've forgotten how, uh, to pretend that I'm busy despite being insanely busy all the time, but I used to be pretty good at the old, Oh, you won't believe like I've, this thing came up that night, which, uh, in, in news journalism is actually never a lie. There was always something to be doing. Uh, but like, now that friends are starting to invite us over for board game nights and stuff, you're like, no, okay, so that's back. It's back quicker than I expected. I just didn't get my head in the game for that one. And the thing that I'm already starting to notice is that uh, 
we we maybe forgot how to talk to other people uh, in social situations that we didn't maintain during Zoom calls. Like um, I went into a retail store yesterday and and you could see somebody, one of the employees there was asking people, hey, can I can I help help you with something? Can I help you find something? And it was like they were speaking a foreign language. People just looked at them. And I know that they understood what was being said was just like somebody wants to help me find things inside a store. There's just no processing it there. Uh, so I, I can't wait to see what form that takes in my social interaction interactions with with friends and neighbors. Uh, I, I've, I've kept up the business meeting pretty well. I can do that. We've done that on Zoom every morning for a year, uh, my wife does inform me that I don't um, make eye contact well with anyone anymore, either in Zoom or in person, because uh, it seems that my eyes seem to drift to whatever window is nearby, and I look longingly out uh, at the outdoors as if I'm trying to escape. Uh, so that's just a new fun thing that I've picked up. Uh, I, I caught myself doing it today while talking to somebody. I was like, I don't know. I, I don't know why it looks like I'm trying to run right now. Having a nice time talking to you. This is fine. Um, so welcome back to normal world. Normal world seems weird. Normal world seems like it's going to take some getting used to, and then it'll probably never be like what it used to be. Maybe there's some things that we can leave by the side of the road, and maybe there's some things that we can reinvent from the ground up. Uh, if, uh, if I never have to shake anyone's hand again or have anybody judge me by the, the strength of the handshake I gave them, which was already, a weird, weird thing to have going on as a society. Let's just move to bows or like pleasant smiles. We're Midwesterners. We're good at that. There's a lot on the table here. And uh, let's let's see where the dice falls. It's going to be an exciting, bizarre time. I can't wait to be writing about uh, culture and society in the year 2021 because uh, it feels like it's literally all up in the air. Uh, so excited for, to see how weird I make it to myself and to everyone around me. We have a great show today. We have a wonderful interview regarding an internet splort uh, that you almost assuredly have not heard of. Uh, we have Nick's Music Corner, as per always. Uh, but up first, our friend Jason from Stolen Dress Entertainment is reading a story from our magazine. Uh, Abby, our film editor, went into the trenches on this one. Uh, she wrote up uh, a big, wonderful piece, and you can find it online and in the magazine, <laughs> where she went through and watched all of the pandemic movies, all the movies that were either just made during pandemic somehow, uh, or were made during pandemic about being in a pandemic. And here is the thing. They are mostly not great. So Abby, Abby did us all a great service to go dive in on that. Um, a couple of these were just tremendous hate watches that we texted each other through uh there's there's a couple of shiny gems in there and then the rest of it is just um i don't know i'm trying to imagine trying to show it to my kids someday and be like uh, i don't know this is kind of what it was like but like the michael bay version of it I, it's bad anyway uh here is jason reading abby's story pandemic panic cinema movies respond to our agonizing cabin fever by abby olchesi the iconic singer Nina Simone once famously said that it's an artist's duty to reflect the times in which we live. Ms. Simone never lived through a global pandemic, but I like to think she'd still say the same thing today. If nothing else, art provides an emotional and ideological outlet to reflect a creator's experience. Some of modern history's toughest periods have produced excellent art. Consider Britain's anti-Thatcher punk and post-punk explosion in the 70s and 80s. 
or check new wave movies like closely watched trains or daisies that responded to the country's communist control, or the music of the civil rights era, which included the aforementioned Nina Simone. This isn't to say that large-scale suffering is necessary to produce good stuff. Rather, difficult circumstances elicit a strong emotional response, which in turn sometimes expresses itself by way of art. So that begs the question, a year on from the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, what does the artistic response look like? In terms of film, at least, the answer is, by and large, pretty terrible. To date, there have been four notable coronavirus-centric movies released, not counting documentaries. Three are awful. One is exemplary. What gives? To find the answer, I looked at these films one by one. The Bad Coastal Elites, HBO Released in September 2020, Coastal Elites was the first major filmic response to the pandemic. Initially planned as a live theatrical performance at New York's Public Theater, after the pandemic hit, director Jay Roach and writer Paul Rudnick filmed the show's five monologues remotely, and Rudnick revised the material to include pandemic-specific elements, as well as addressing the Black Lives Matter protests that happened last summer. There's really only one monologue that directly connects to COVID-19, Caitlin Deaver's overworked volunteer nurse, which closes things out. References to the events of 2020 are awkwardly shoehorned in throughout the other scenes. Those scenes involve each of the actors speaking directly to the camera for about 15 minutes apiece, in what feels less like the desperate confessions promised by Coastal Elite's subtitle and more like a series of sermons preaching to the converted. The film is meant to be a lovingish satire of a certain kind of liberal, someone, in many forms, who thinks of middle America as culturally backwards flyover country. It might take a bit for viewers to realize that, however, as Coastal Elites seems to sympathize deeply with these enlightened folks who escaped life in the hell of the Midwest. The worst of these is Bette Midler's Miriam, a caricature of a New York Times-loving elitist who, by the end of the show, were meant to feel pathos for. Deaver's Sharin, the lone non-coastal character, she's from Wyoming, offers no helpful cultural counterpoint, and, if anything, validates the perspectives we've been enduring for the last 75 minutes. She's won over by these bold New Yorkers who speak their minds and curse with abandon. Responding to a patient's gallows humor of just hoping her cough is cancer, Sharin comments, We don't say shit like that in Wyoming. I've never been to Wyoming, so I won't presume to speak for them. In Missouri, however, and Kansas too, we say shit like that all the time. Songbird, VOD The Michael Bay-produced Songbird was filmed during the pandemic, imagining a future three years from now where a rapidly mutating COVID virus has turned the U.S. into a post-apocalyptic hellscape. Unless you're certified immune, so designated by a yellow wristband, leaving your house means you'll be shot on sight by government goons. If you fail a daily virus check, you and your household are shipped off to the Q-Zone, which we're told is a cesspit of disease, death, and despair. Making a movie that validates the baseless fears of people who believe wearing a mask impinges on their rights feels irresponsible at best. Songbird, however, is worse than irresponsible. It's extreme scaremongering that ridicules anyone who's been taking reasonable precautions over the last year, and laughs in the face of public health officials who have been trying like hell to do their jobs in the face of increased stress. If you want full details of the plot, check out Katie Stetzel's review on our website. The future depicted in Songbird is not only absurd, but fully avoidable. Just wear your damn mask and get a vaccine. It's not that hard. Locked Down, HBO Max Expressing paranoid fantasies based on faulty logic and poor research is one end of the bad COVID movies spectrum. The other end is people grudgingly abiding by the rules and complaining about the few luxuries they've lost while still living in relative comfort. 
For that, you can look to Locked Down, the Doug Lyman-directed Stephen Knight-scripted heist rom-com. It's a movie about wealthy people, starring wealthy people, whinging about issues neither they nor their characters seem to have a real grasp of. Paxton, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Linda, Anne Hathaway, live in London in a well-appointed modern townhouse. Their long-term relationship appears to be at an end, and Paxton, a delivery driver, has just been furloughed. Linda, an executive at a company that does event coordination for high-end designers, is being forced to lay off most of her office. Because London's on lockdown, they're forced to stay in their house together, becoming increasingly sick of the sight of each other post-almost breakup. When Paxton's old boss offers him an under-the-table driving gig for Harrods department store, where Linda also has to pick up a priceless diamond belonging to one of her company's clients, Linda gets the idea to steal the diamond, screwing over her employer and netting her and Paxton enough money, which they already seem to have plenty of, but whatever, to never have to work another day in their lives. The setup has some appeal. Shoot a film during lockdown while using the distance and protocol restrictions to your creative advantage. However, Locked Down falls into the same trap as coastal elites by whining about how hard life is now from the perspective of people who, lockdown or no, have very little to worry about. Paxton and Linda may be in unpleasant personal and professional situations, but even without jobs, they aren't hurting for cash. Nobody they know has died. They can still access many things they enjoyed before the world fell apart. Comparatively speaking, they're doing great. Paxton and Linda are also insufferable, and the casting doesn't fit with the stories we're given. Paxton is a smart guy, but has a criminal record that prevents him from getting a better job. He's also a biker. He and Linda first met at a Sturgis rally. Hathaway looks like she wouldn't be caught dead at such an event, particularly when she's wearing designer silk pajamas to her Zoom meetings in a home office straight out of Architectural Digest. For his part, Egeofor makes no attempt to give Paxton characteristics that fit the details we're given about him. He looks and sounds like a drama school graduate, not someone with a hog and a rap sheet. Locked Down is an excuse for rich, bored actors to have fun, which feels like an out-of-touch artistic response when over two million people have died, and millions of others, most of whom don't live in nice townhouses, have lost their jobs. There are many practical reasons why Locked Down doesn't work, but most of all, it's just completely blind to the actual struggles of normal people. The Good Host Shudder Rob Savage's host is only 68 minutes long. It takes place entirely over video chat. It's also the only movie made during the pandemic, addressing the pandemic, that not only works but excels. Like Locked Down, Host works within the constraints of the UK's lockdown conditions. Here, though, those restrictions and the creative opportunities they present are Host's sole interest. Where the rest of these films focus on what's been lost, by people who haven't actually lost that much, Host takes a more pragmatic approach, asking, what can we do with what we've still got? Host follows a video chat between friends doing an online seance to distract them from the monotony of quarantine. Haley, Haley Bishop, is the experienced one. Gemma, Gemma Moore, is the skeptic. Emma, Emma Louise Webb, and Caroline, Caroline Ward, each ensconced in their own quarantine situations, are a little nervous. Redina, Redina Drandova, is distracted by her live-in boyfriend, who she doesn't much like. Teddy, Edward Linard, is equally distracted by his rich girlfriend Ginny, Ginny Lofthouse, and her parents' well-stocked bar. The seance starts harmlessly, but after Gemma jokingly fakes the presence of a spirit, things go terrifyingly awry. Savage directed host over Zoom, with the actors operating their own cameras. As the malevolent spirit they've unwittingly conjured becomes increasingly frisky, Savage instructed the actors in how to do their own lo-fi practical effects to make doors slam or objects fly around the room. Savage and his actors get incredible mileage out of their laptop cameras, using their limited range and framing, 
as well as animated zoom backgrounds and the occasional dropped call to deliver a steady stream of effective jump scares. Host sets up the tension early on and doesn't let up until its final seconds. Host is the first of this early set of artistic responses to COVID-19 that actually works because the filmmaking operates under the same principles that help actual human beings survive day to day right now. There are, of course, plenty of reasons to feel anxiety or grief currently. It's often easier, however, to process these feelings with a little bit of distance and larger context. In the moment, we've learned over the last year that we have to take care of the needs directly in front of us. During a pandemic, that means getting creative, not wallowing. Host would be an effective horror movie in any year, but in 2020, it was a reminder that good art that responds to a current situation is still possible. All it takes is a little ingenuity, good friends, and a will to make it work. And now, ladies and gentlemen, that moment you have all been waiting for is time for Nick's Music Corner. Hello, I'm Nick Spacek, music editor for The Pitch, here with this week's local music recommendation. We're doing a throwback choice this week, inspired by the upcoming release of Aaron Karn's new book from Clash Books, In Defense of Ska. I started reading an advanced copy of the book this morning, and it took me back to some of the first shows I saw when I moved to Lawrence in 1997. As a matter of fact, the very first show I saw in August of 97 was a house party featuring several local bands, one of whom was Ska Act, The Norman 360. The seven and sometimes eight-piece band sound fell somewhere between classic 60s ska and the two-tone sound popular in the early 80s. The band was energetic, catchy, and fun as hell, and the Norman 360 were one of those acts who played out on the regular, meaning I was able to see them play any number of local shows with other ska bands, as well as opening for touring acts like the Slackers. That was until they just kind of disappeared. One of the downsides to living in a college town is that bands form and play an absurd number of shows over two or three years, only to disband once folks start graduating and moving away. The Norman 360 did come close to making it, though. I do recall rumors of the band hearing of interest from Moonska, the band run by the toaster's Rob Hingley, but the closest they came to being on a national level was an appearance on Moon's 1997 double CD compilation, Skarmageddon 3, alongside a few acts who would go on to national prominence like the Skoidats, Big D and the Kids Table, and the Impossibles. Over the course of the band's time in Lawrence, they'd feature Bryce Billings on guitar, who also played in Lawrence Garage Rock Purveyors, the Hefners, and Mike Walker, who can still be found playing trombone around the area in the likes of Sun Venezuela and the New Rhythm. The band's sole output was limited to one cassette tape, which I thankfully still have my copy of all of these years later, and that's Garmageddon 3 appearance of their song Sonic, which is the last song on the self-titled cassette's first side. So, this is Sonic. Check it out.
this brings us to Blaseball. Blaseball is an internet splort. Uh, what is Blaseball? Uh, imagine playing fantasy football or fantasy baseball. Uh, it is like that. It takes place on the internet. Uh, it is based around the basic rules and designs of baseball. And then imagine that it's run by an evil supercomputer uh, and that you and the other fans in some small way control everything that is going to happen. And that layer to top all of this uh, is sort of like a D&D system uh, where <laughs> there's baseball happening, but there's also monsters and a god that wants to turn everyone into peanuts um, and then eat them. Uh, and all the characters have these intricate backstories and stats, and there's this whole fan world built around it. Um, that is Blaseball in a nutshell, literally. Uh, it is very hard to explain. Uh, on our website, our friend Reb Valentine has a wonderful explanation she's written, which is one of several that she's written now, because once you get into Blaseball, other people tend to come up and be like, can you explain it to me? And it's like, it's going to take some time and I'm, I'm going to also need a couple of different uh, runs at it. Uh, so in Kansas city, my friend Joel uh, is one of the, one of the people working on the team that makes this and the team, uh, the game band uh, behind this, it's a very, very small team, especially for the video game world. Uh, and they were actually working on a completely different video game. Uh, and then pandemic hit and uh, sort of as a joke, they were like, what if we made this thing? It was free to play. It's got a gambling aspect. It's uh, got Lovecraftian eldritch horror and it's baseball. And anyone can play it anywhere on their phone or in their web browser. Uh, I don't know. Let's just see what happens. And it became uh, the hit game of the year. I I, I think all of my friends play it uh, and the ones that don't are, are still trying to find their footing uh, and get in. Uh, and so uh, to have... Somebody locally who is helping contribute to uh, what was the pandemic's like biggest active sport probably around the world uh, is is sort of an exciting thing. Anyway, uh, the latest season of the game uh, just sort of hit. Uh, the the team took some time off for both mental health and for sprucing up the game, uh, and and now a new era of baseball begins. Uh, and and so there is. There is a lot to be said about how much weird, deep lore and, and hilarious storytelling there is around this this sport. But equally, you should probably be able to come in sight unseen to Blaseball.com, sign up for an account, and pretty quickly get the hang of what you're doing and what you're watching and why you're enjoying it. Uh, it'll always be weird as hell, uh, and it is not like you need to understand the 1982 Dodgers, uh, in order to understand watching a game of baseball in the real world and enjoy it. Uh, so the accessibility is there. It's free. It's wild. Uh, and we have a team uh, in Kansas City uh, in this league, the Kansas City Breath Mints. Uh, so if you know me, you've probably seen me walking around with a lot of Breath Mints merch on. Uh, those are my team. Fresh breath. Here we come. Uh, so here's our interview with Joel. Joel, welcome to the show. Would you introduce yourself to the audience? Yes, my name is Joel Clark. I work at the Game Band. Um, notably, we made Blaseball. Um, I'm a designer and writer and engineer there. And you started in Manhattan, Kansas. How do you go from Manhattan, Kansas to working on one of the biggest video games in the world? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I, um, I grew up in Manhattan, and then I went out to school at USC in Los Angeles, lived in LA for 10 years. Um, and I, at USC, I met Sam Rosenthal, who's the founder of the game band and creative director. And so, um, yeah, we started working together a few years after we both graduated, and we made Where Cards Fall at the game band. That was our first game. And then, yeah, after... After that game came out, we were looking for something new to do, and we came up with this weird idea for Blazeball. Well, and technically, you guys were working on a game, and then that game sort of fell by the wayside, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we we had um, we had a couple different uh, game ideas after Where Cards Fall. The first one went pretty far and then fell through, and it, we had to just totally pivot, um, just think on our heels and figure something else out very quickly. So that's in well, that I moment. I didn't know that it fell through. I just thought that you guys landed on this other thing and were like, oh, where do we find time for the thing that we're supposed to still deliver on? Well, yeah. And so we had kind of both of these things happen, right? Like we had <laughs> we had one project fall through and then came up with Blazeball and the Desperation. But even through that, we had another project that we were like, okay, well, but really this one will be the real one. And um, yeah, it ended up, we had to drop that one just because baseball became <laughs> the, the interesting project and um, we just have run with it. Uh, so yeah, a pandemic sets in and, and you guys uh, developed a sport called baseball, uh, which I know uh, to most of the listeners here uh, sounds like madness. Would you explain what it is that you guys came up with? <laughs> sure. Um, the, Starting point, I always say now, is that it's a simulated fake baseball league um, with the promise that the community, the team communities can change the rules and shape the sport. Um, and then on top of that, it's kind of just this community storytelling experience. Um, to go into a little bit more detail than that, it is this, is this like absurdist horror weird thing um, where the rules are constantly changing and players are getting incinerated. Um, and you can go watch these games just through text logs, basically. Bet on the games, and then at the end of the week, you can spend votes to boost players or get weird special abilities or fight a god. I don't know. Like, um, it goes in a lot of weird directions, and it's just a lot of fun to tune in and just see what's happening. It, it is important to note that this is a game that you do not need any special technology for. Anyone can play this on their phone or in a web browser. And a, a big part of what makes it so easy for this to become so outlandish so quickly is that there is no visual element to any of it. This is like entirely text and numbers based and run by algorithms that are generating madness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we wanted it to be very approachable. That's why it's a website. It's just www.blaseball.com. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. You can participate fully in the game for free. Um, yeah. It's, there actually is no like financial component there. I, I remember when I first heard about it, I was like, gambling? Uh, I'm not going to get into something that I'm going to lose money on because it's fun. Yeah. The, the end result, though, is that uh, you have such a wonderful community uh, that makes all this merch uh, for the various teams, and I have lost now 
hundreds of dollars in KC Breath Mints merch. I just have so much and I keep buying it for my wife. And she's like, when am I going to wear this jersey? I'm like, I've got it in a different color. We have that fucking mug that I can see in your video. Yeah, yeah it's just, uh, which is, is to mention that uh, a reason that it's come up a lot is that um, Kansas City has their own team in this league. And again, random computer stuff generated these teams from the start. And so Kansas City's team is the KC Breath Mints. Uh, whose players often meet very tragic ends. So uh, we're, we're also known as the death mints. Um, and it is the most fun sports fandom I have. It is in line with the Chiefs. And as our friend Reb Valentine, who writes on it, uh, has written on it for the pitch before, has said, like, the the fervor around how much people love the Casey breath mints and their, uh, their rally cry of uh, fresh breath, here we come, Mm-hmm. shows that whenever Kansas City has that discussion of like, well, how could we possibly rename the Chiefs? Literally anything. A computer could pick the breath mints and there are fervent fans all over the country. Uh, and, and everywhere I go in KC where I'm wearing like one of my breath mints things, like people always like ask me like, hey, so what is that? And I try to explain and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but overwhelmingly they're like, well, it's a cool design. And I'm like, that that's probably enough to make it work. <laughs> yeah. It feels like the only t- reason that teams stick to the to problematic names like that are just like the history. Like, it's just like, oh, well, it's been the name for so, so long. And that's the stupidest reason, because I think that's also the problem with like some of these sports is they won't give up on certain things when they're dumb ideas. Like, just, you know, adjust. Just that, that's what, that's part of what I think baseball is proving. It's like, hey, if you just made the rules weird, if you just change some stuff, baseball could be a lot more fun. I do love baseball still. I'm not knocking baseball, but yeah, the Chiefs should just rename their team. Like just you, you could come up with anything. Just let the fans name it. That'd be fun. Like we would come up with something great and everyone would be happy with it. Let, let us be fair that the first version of it would come out of some sort of Bodie McBoat face thing that we'd be like, okay, you got your internet out of your system. Let's sure. let's actually do something. That was the fake here. vote. Now for the real one. Which feels like a very baseball move. Um, right. So yeah, you guys sort of launched this as a very low-key friends sort of thing, and then it took off very quickly. What was the first moment that you guys were like, "Oh, oh, this is a thing now"? Like, uh... yeah, um, it was almost immediate. Like for the whole first era, when era it was the discipline era, and it ran about um, eleven seasons. Pretty much every season we had a moment like that. Um, so in the first season, like our servers were starting to crash and we were like, oh wow, we we did not expect this to happen. I remember we were excited that our election had like 2000 votes total. We we're like, wow, people really love this game. Um, just to clue you in, nowadays there's millions and millions of votes in every election. So it's really, it's really grown. But um, season two is when it really hit because that's when all the fan art started. And particularly when the fan music started, when the Seattle garages formed a band and started writing music and putting out like a new album every like four days on Bandcamp. It was just mind blowing. Like I just could not believe. Musicians around the world contributing songs about events that are happening in baseball and songs about specific people. I, I, our, our mutual friend, Kat Manning, who was one of the early adopters, who wrote a lot of pieces online, like, like explainers, like, here is how this is going, or here is a recap 
of the events of this week if you don't understand what's happening. Yeah, I... <laughs> yeah, sorry, I <laughs> keep going. <laughs> no, it's, it's just to see people throw creative energy into this thing is that's that's really overwhelming in a wonderful way like it is it really helped us um keep going when like the times were a little stressful in early baseball because it's just like it felt like we were putting in all this love into this game and then the community was feeding off of that and putting love back into this game and it became this this dialogue between developer and fan and it's really what powers this machine i think so part of this is that you, uh, a lot of these players were, were, were sort of randomly generated again by a computer with names and stats and so forth. And now, and almost immediately, uh, the, the community created for them extensive backstories, extensive biographies, histories of what had happened to them. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, like fan art, uh, how, how did the lore and the world of this sort of come to life without you guys doing any work around it? <laughs> right. Like it, it doesn't exist in the game. And that's a question that I have from people that are their first starting. They're like, I read about Jessica telephone <laughs> and it's like 80 pages long about all these things that happened in her life. I don't, where do I find that in the game? And I'm like, okay, well that it's not really okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's it's, it's a little, it's an interesting challenge for us, for sure, um, because in the game, there none of that lore exists. None of that is canon, but um, like we do want to reward that creative energy, and we do want people to be able to write that fan lore. So we, we make an effort to say like all, all fan lore is valid, and you get certain players like Jessica Telephone where like, you know, like a lot of the stories people tell seem to line up, and like there's just this accepted... Um, there's this accepted character of who Jessica Telephone is, but it's still all just different fan lores coming together. We we do like make an effort to be just very careful about, there, there's so little actual lore on the site. So when we do put something on the site, whether it's like a special ability or just like some outcome text or something, we're very careful about it. So we know exactly what it's suggesting. We know exactly what it's trying to say. And that then influences what fan lore gets written. And I think that that's one of the parts, not even the fan lore itself, but perhaps the lack of context of so much of baseball that makes it so exciting to watch in like a, a moment to moment way and to follow, especially on, on social media or the discord uh, <laughs> is because things happen every day that, uh, and sometimes multiple times in an hour that will shock the community, that will make everyone throw their hands in the air and scream. It's it it has all the twists and turns of a movie that just mm -hmm. never stops coming, and most of it stems from being like, I don't understand what just happened here, and everyone trying to explain, or mostly just laughing at like, okay, I guess that's a thing that now exists here. Uh, you're, you, things are constantly popping into and out of existence, uh, and and the ability for you guys to keep the surprise element going, I think, is one of the most exciting things about what you're doing. Yeah, that's. Well, look, there's no shortage of weird, funny, mysterious ideas for baseball. We can keep throwing stuff in like that. Um, that that's, and that is a huge part of what I think is fun about baseball is it's a mystery, right? Like we always are introducing something new 
and there's that moment where it's a selling point for this game. Um, at the same time, it's such a balance because we don't want baseball to be just this like in joke and like this inscrutable thing that you can never understand. So we're trying to like more clearly explain the things that aren't mysteries. And so that when the mysteries come along, that's um, that's the thing we're focusing on. And a new fan coming in shouldn't have to like go searching through all of these deep, weird, um, complicated mysteries to figure out how this thing works. I, I had friends that wrote on the second and third seasons of, uh, of Arrested Development, mm -hmm. and they were actively trying to tank the show because they realized that like, if you hadn't seen every episode up to that point, there was no possible way for a new viewer to come in. So when their members kept tanking, they're like, we literally can't do anything about it. We built a labyrinth that uh, <laughs> there's no, there's not even an entry point. So th that's one of those things I think about sometimes when somebody starts and they can just start at any point and sort of catch up immediately. Like they don't, they can, they can have the experience of going back to read the, the tales of all these people, but you can also fall in love with a Jessica telephone day one without knowing anything about her. One, exactly. one of the things I, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say like some, like we pointed out um, the other day, that it's like kind of just how sports work, right? Like you don't go in and become a Royals fan and think like, and immediately go search through all the history of the Royals, right? You just go I to have to game. understand George Brett first. Yeah. Like, like, until that, I don't know what I'm seeing. Sorry, you can't step into the stadium. Please, <laughs> please go read about George Brett and his um, weird stories. I, I <laughs> um, yeah, like it's, you shouldn't have to do that. You can just step in and start watching a game and then like learn the history and learn all the weird stuff as you go. One of the things I appreciated about you and and how many people were on the team when you guys launched this? When we launched this, um, I was, we had, me, Sam, and Steven were like the only full-time uh, members working on this game. So it's, um, and we were just all meeting. I was building the site and then the three of us were meeting and writing and designing everything that was going on. Um, we had a few part-time people, like it grew pretty early on to, to six. Um, so for a while now, it's been six people pretty full-time making baseball. Um, Again, one of the biggest video games in the world, uh, <laughs> an incredible sport that, that it, once you're in on, you're in on. And, and I think that that's one of the things I've, that I and so many of my friends that work in and around games, and certainly I think anyone in the creative field appreciated about what you guys did, uh, which was that um, this really went balls to the walls fast uh, and you guys really plowed through and then took a moment to say, hey, we're gonna take some time off. I, we're, we've been doing this for 24 hours a day for weeks. Uh, mm -hmm. We need to figure out the future of the sport and we need to like recover as human beings. And the fact that a team of six people were able to say like, we're not going to do crunch to ourselves just because we're a hit right now. Uh, and you had faith in both the product and the community enough to say like, no one's going anywhere. Everyone's thankful. And like, I never once saw a tweet and I'm sure some exist somewhere, but it was overwhelmingly like, congrats, go take care of yourselves. Can't wait to have you back. Like no one was like, how dare you take this thing away, which for uh, gamers, is not a common thing to see, which I think speaks highly to your community. Oh yeah, it definitely speaks to our community. Like I, we have just, 
I'm still every day I'm surprised by just how great our community is. And I know we maybe had some responsibility for it. Like we try to promote just our values and what we as the game band really value, but really just the right community just came to baseball and has just grown in wonderful ways in our like um, our keepers running the community just moderate it so well. And somehow, yeah, we ended up with a community that is just very atypical for games that just was like, they'll like, we'll do a, like a monthly stream um, inside of baseball and they'll ask me to talk about self-care. And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, I'm not an expert here, but I see what you're valuing. valuing. Um, it's just really a great community. I, I'm so happy they, um, they made it easy for us to make that choice, right? We did have to take a few short breaks during the first era just because we were out of time to do things and just like back against the wall and when those happened the community was very accepting of it so when the choice came along to do a longer one we didn't know how long it was going to be but we we just felt like the community be, would be okay with it and they were and again you were doing something like that along at the same time as uh, one of the biggest video games in the world was saying like hey, we're delayed by two months and everyone that worked there was getting death threats. So again, a real atypical behavior here yeah. uh, from a community. And, and I think that the, that sort of love like trickles down to every level of what this is, which is one of the reasons it's so easy to be so excited about baseball. <laughs> yeah, totally. What is next for you and what is next for the team? Ooh, well, I'll start with baseball. We... So we just started this new era. It's been a crazy week. Um, so we're continuing to, um, I, I think we, we've announced that we're doing three seasons on and two seasons off for this new era. So we have kind of a more regular cadence. So for for the time being and for the foreseeable future, we'll be, we'll be running uh, the, the expansion era is now the new name of this era. Um, we'll be running this for a while so we'll have a whole new whole new story all new mysteries for for a couple months now um we'll and we'll see how long it goes um yeah and just for the foreseeable like the game band we keep talking about bigger ideas i think the more the better baseball does the more ideas we get and the more um the more things we can explore so we're excited to see where this can grow towards and I'll certainly be a part of that. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's the best answer I can give. Uh, finally, in uh, in KC uh, this year, what is the place that you've been getting takeout from that's kept you sane? <laughs> it's a great question. I I'm still I need recommendations. I need recommendations. I just I came here and I like did had no idea where to get food from. I'm still like trying to learn Kansas City amidst a pandemic and you just can't do it. Um, so, I mean, I've been ordering Minsky's pizza. It's, it's great, classic. Um, I've been ordering barbecue because I just, that hasn't been a luxury that was great in LA. So I like uh, Jack Stack barbecue delivers here, but when I'm really feeling it, I'll go to Joe's and pick some up. Uh, yeah, but definitely, I need recommendations. Please help. Please send help. Quite literally, my job. I, I promise that. Uh, <laughs> I promise that when this is over, uh, we will grab a drink and I will take you on a tour of cool stuff. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> All right.
All right. Have yourself an awesome day. Thank you so much. Uh, fresh breath. <laughs> fresh breath. Yeah. We're in party time. Let's get it. We're in party time. All right. See you soon, man. All right. See you. Ladies and gentlemen, that has been the Streetwise podcast from the Pitch Podcast Network. I was your host and the editor-in-chief of the Pitch, Mr. Brock Wilbur. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. Uh, check out thepitchkc.com where we are doing cool, nifty, newsy stuff all the time, just trying to be there for you. If you ever feel like tossing a few bucks our way, becoming a sustaining member on the website is a great way to do so. Uh, right into tips at thepitchkc.com if you have stories that you think we should be covering. Uh, otherwise, be kind to each other out there. Be good. Pitch in and we'll make it through. All right. Bye, 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 bye. This was a production of the Pitch Podcast Network. The Pitch is Kansas City's independent source for news and culture. Check out thepitchkc.com to see more podcasts from us, including information for how to subscribe to The Pitch or become a sustaining member. Story ideas or feedback? Write to tips at thepitchkc.com. Pitch in and we'll make it through.